Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. We have, as you will see, a longer sermon text this morning, and so our uh, gospel and New Testament readings are a little on the shorter side. Um, <clears throat> and I would encourage you to read more around the parts that we're reading this morning, because it's all so good. Uh, this is in the middle of a teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for the rain. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that this morning you would help us to be those who have ears to hear. Lord, that, that our lives would be the good soil that your word is planted in, that we would be those who produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. And then turning to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, in contrast to the acts of the flesh, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, when, we, when we come to our interaction with the Bible, our reading of the Bible, it does happen a lot of times that we get these little snippets, kind of like what we're reading here. You get this little snippet here, this little snippet there, and we start to hear Bible verses themselves almost like fortune cookie slips, right? <laughs> And so you find this little bit in there, and you're like, okay, this is my, you know, whatever verse, that's, that's it. And we start taking these verses, and we were talking in the youth group this last Wednesday night about memorizing Bible verses, which is a good thing to do. But one of the steps in there, if you're going to do it well, he said, um, you know, if you think about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, every response that he had to the devil was to quote Scripture, right? That's the way that he responded. Okay, this is a good thing to do. We should be memorizing this, be able uh, to have Scripture so in us that that is what comes out of us in times of difficulty. But we also noted that the devil also quoted Scripture. So apparently there's a way to do it like Jesus, and there's a way to do it like the devil. And we want to make sure that we're doing it like Jesus, not like the devil. But what happens is it's so easy to do it like the devil because what it means is you can take this verse and think you know what it's talking about, but have no actual idea. Like the words sound like they mean this, therefore it must mean that. 
if you only read it by itself. But a lot of times, if you go back to the passage where that verse is and read all the verses around it, read the whole book that that's in, it goes, oh, actually, that's not what I thought that meant. And so this is one of the reasons why, yes, it's good to memorize that verse, but only if you understand what that verse really means in the context of the whole thing. And that's how we do it like Jesus and not like the devil. Um, and one of the reasons I bring that up, we're getting ready to go back through, you know, as I said earlier, reading through the whole Bible together. Um, and one of the things that I think is surprising to people sometimes when you read through the whole thing is how much of the Bible isn't little fortune cookie verses and snippets. But the Bible actually, when it was written, the authors weren't putting in chapter numbers and verse numbers. Christians added those a lot later as a way of just a helpful way to be able to find the part that they were talking about to somebody. And it is, it's really helpful. Uh, but when they were writing it, it's just, it's not all chopped up. It's all together as uh, a whole book kind of thing. And, uh, and but one of the things that surprises people is that it, instead of being these little fortune cookie verses, one right after another, how much of it is just story? That there is a narrative uh, that is being told, that there is a plot, that there are uh, people who are doing things and things are moving the story forward. And that rather than being a verse that says, do this or don't do that, there are those kinds of verses in there. About 43%, according to the Bible Project, about 43% of the whole Bible is narrative. It's story. It could be argued that actually the entire Bible is a story. It starts in the beginning and goes all the way through. Um, And that all those other parts fit into that story for a particular reason. That's one of the things we see when we go through the whole thing together. Um, But because of that, we need to be good students, not just of the Bible, but of story. And we need to know how to, uh, like, why is this story in the Bible if it's not specifically telling me what to do today? There are a lot of stories that aren't necessary to my life, and yet we say that the whole word of God is. So how is that? Why are stories there? Why would God include so much of uh, his, so much of the Bible, the word of God that he gives to us? Why would so much of it be story? And I think part of that comes down to kind of what our expectations are going in as far as why that surprises us, but maybe it shouldn't be surprising. When we think about what God is doing, if this, we think about this not just as a, a handbook for how I ought to live, but actually more of a record of who God is and how he interacts with all of his creation and with his people specifically. When we see it more like that, it makes sense that this would be the story. And that actually the way that we learn about God, we want to uh, look for a verse that says God is like this, and there are those verses. But so much of the Bible is telling us who God is and who we are and how we are to be as his people in relationship with him and in relationship with the rest of the world through a story. That's actually what we get this morning. And so uh, I have done m- more by way of introduction to this <laughs> to prepare you to hear this story because I want you to hear this story. This is, uh, it comes at a particular time in a particular place When Abraham is old, God had already come to him and brought him out of the land of his family 
and he has now been in the promised land. And we saw uh, last week that when his wife Sarah died, that he actually kind of planted that flag in the land of promise, saying, I trust that God is going to uh, give my family this land. Maybe not me right now, but I believe his word is true, that he is going to be faithful to what he promised. And then this week, we get um, that next generation. What does he do with Isaac when it is time for Isaac to get married and start a family of his own? Does he find a family from the people in that land already? No. And in fact, Abraham sends his servant far, far away back to the land that he came from, his family that he had come from. Uh, and there are reasons for that. But I want you to think about, as we read this, and as you hear it, I want you to hear the story and be thinking as you're listening, what do we learn about God and how he's working with his people in this moment? What do we learn about the people who are supposed to be his uh, followers? As I say, it's, it's kind of a long one, so I'm actually going to get out my glasses. Sorry. Yeah, the uh, verse 1 says, Abraham was now very old. I'm not far behind him. Okay, um, hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then only will you be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, Please, let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, Drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. 
She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live. But go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord, before whom I have walked faithfully, will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son, for my own clan, and from my my father's family. You will be released from my oath if, when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you. Then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I'm standing beside the spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink and I'll draw water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. 
I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the young woman remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me, now that the Lord has granted a success to my journey. Send me on my way, so I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahiroi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. All right. That's a story, right? You hear it. In fact, there are plenty of parts of that that got repeated. Did you notice that? <laughs> like, why are we hearing this again? And I will say that's just one of the things to note in the Bible is uh, there's a lot of repetition of things. And for us, we tend to think, oh, this is a mistake. They accidentally put it in here twice. <laughs> but actually, that is the way of emphasizing something important. And so this interaction that the servant is having uh, with Rebecca at the well, we hear that whole, the whole thing twice. Why is it such a big deal? What is it that we're supposed to be learning from this? I told you to keep an eye out for what this uh, was, what we learn about who God is and how he interacts with his people. Did you catch anything as you went through? As you listen? The prayer that the servant prays when he gets to the well. It's fantastic, right? Because he is praying, you know, let it be like this. Now, is that really, like, does God have to do it his way? No. <laughs> and yet, it says before he'd even finished praying, like he is still, and when he tells the story again, he's like, before I even finish praying in my heart, out comes Rebecca. And so we see God in answer to his prayer in advance, you know, that she's already on her way out before this guy even starts praying. And yet it is because of this prayer, his interaction with God, that he recognizes her when she comes for who she is. That this is going to be 
uh, the person that he's supposed to be taken back home. But the reason that he has this strange request of, I'll tell you what, God, let's have it be like if she waters a bunch of camels. That's how I'll know. Like, that's weird, right? Except think about what he's, what he's trying to accomplish here. He's not just trying to find someone. He's trying to find someone good <laughs> for Isaac, right? This is why he's not finding somebody from the Canaanites. He wants somebody who's going to have that same uh, character that we see in Abraham when three visitors show up, strangers show up, and he greets them with what we're talking about is this extreme hospitality. And he immediately just is uh, generous and giving to them. And so when this servant prays, let her, you know, also ask to water my camels, that's huge. The amount of times and trips it takes to fill the jar with water to water that many camels is just enormous. We don't really have kind of the frame of reference for that, of what that would be. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll water that too. This would take a lot of time. This would take a lot of energy. This would take a lot of effort. This was extreme hospitality. So what he's actually praying is, let me meet a woman who has the same kind of extreme generosity that Abraham has. Because that's the kind of person he's going to want to be uh, a wife for his son. What's really interesting is that's exactly then who he meets just right away. Is somebody who does have that same kind of character. And they do have that same kind of uh, character. Uh, We find out, actually, it's partly because it's from the same family. That's who he's been sent to find. Now, here's what's really crazy. Andrew, next slide, please. There we go. I don't know if you can see that really well. Um, Actually, here, throw that to me again. Yeah. Got a laser pointer. So here we have the um, Mediterranean Sea. This is where they're coming from. This is where they're going to. So Abraham had originally been called here. They went out, or he'd been from here. The family had gone to here, and they all settled up in this area. And then uh, Abraham leaves his father, and his family comes all the way down here. Any way you slice it, I can't figure out a way that this is any less than 600 miles, one way. When this servant makes this trip, He is going 600 miles, oh, you know, that way. (laughs) How in the world am I going to find your family, Abraham? Uh, Yeah, God will help you with that. Have a good trip. (laughs) There's no GPS. (laughs) He's just going. And he gets all the way over there, uh, you know, 600 and some miles away, if not more. And then the person that he meets, ah, I'm hitting the wrong buttons. The person he meets is Rebecca. Now, you can't see any of these names, and I apologize for that. But here's, this is Abraham, and all that part in there where it's like, uh, oh, who are you, Rebecca? And she's like, oh, I'm the uh, daughter of Bethuel, who Nahor, or who Milcah bore to Nahor. So who is Nahor? And you're like, I don't know. Well, if you remember from earlier in Genesis, and it goes through the uh, genealogy kind of stuff, Nahor is Abraham's brother. And so it's Abraham's brother's granddaughter. That's who this is. What is so bizarre about this 
is that uh, this is who Abraham is saying, this is who I want you to go find is somebody, you know, from my family somewhere over 600 miles away. And Abraham seems to have no doubt that he's going to find her. Yeah, God, God's going to help you with that. He'll make sure that happens. And then even the servant is asking, yeah, but what if she doesn't come back? Do I take Isaac over there? No, you don't take him there. The promise is for here. He stays here. She comes here. But when he goes uh, so, so far away, the first person he meets, he's made it to that area, and the first person he meets is somebody who is uh, this close in the family relationship, which, yes, things are different on that nowadays, so I have to say that uh, <laughs> in case anybody gets any ideas. And then, um, but that's the first person he meets is somebody this close in family relationship and who has that extreme hospitality and generosity that he's looking for. She is the person <laughs> that he's been sent to find over 600 miles away. This is uh, the, like, throwing the dart from the top of the Grand Canyon and hitting the bullseye on your first attempt. It's like that, you don't chalk that up to skill. (laughs) Somebody is tampering with things here. This is what Abraham said would be the case. This is what his servant now finds out to be the case. And so how does he respond when he finds out this is the case? He sees that she starts, she offers, but then she actually does it and waters all the camels. They all get enough to drink. And his response, of course, he uh, asks her what family she's from, finds out it's this kind of relationship. Oh, my goodness. So he gives her the things he brought, uh, the nose ring and the bracelets, which, again, things are different today. If you're planning on proposing, that may not be the way. Anyway, um, but then his response when he finds out who she is, what family this is, and how this has all been successful after all, that he has hit the bullseye. <laughs> Verse 26 and 27. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the God, to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on my journey to the house of my master's relatives. You hear it? That kindness and faithfulness. This word kindness actually gets translated various ways throughout the Old Testament. It's the uh, Hebrew word chesed, which if you have a cold, you can say it better, but it's chesed. (laughs) And it's this steadfast, covenant, loyal, uh, unconditional love. That's what this word kindness here actually represents. And he's saying, you know, this is what God has promised to do for Abraham. And I see God being faithful to that, that he is continuing to show this kind of love to Abraham through the way that he has interacted with me on this journey. How cool is that? And then you get the retelling of the story, right? So he goes and he's talking with uh, Rebecca's family. They want to know how it goes. And he starts off and is telling about the Lord. Here's what the Lord has done for Abraham. Here's what he's uh, guided me on my journey, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about who God is and what he's been doing. And then he ends that story 
and you're waiting for the response, right? You're waiting for him to say, and therefore my God has been shown kindness and faithfulness to my master. That's how he ended it last time, right? He doesn't this time. Instead, when he ends uh, the story, this is verse 49. He says, now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me so that I may know which way to turn. Do you hear it? Same words. Same words in Hebrew as well. That what this man is saying is this is who my God is. This is the character that he has. This is what he has displayed over and over. And you see it through the story. And now he says, if this is who God is, then this is who we're to be. This is what we're to be like. And so uh, after, uh, telling this, after we hear the story the first time, we see him praising God for his kindness and faithfulness. Then he tells the story to somebody else. And he says, okay, now are you going to be kind and faithful? You get it? We are supposed to be reflecting who God is into this creation. When God later in part of Exodus reveals to Moses who he is, this is uh, what gets quoted again and again throughout the rest of the Old Testament. God passes in front of Moses in Exodus 34 and says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Same two words there. Kindness and faithfulness, <laughs> love and faithfulness, same two words. This is the way that God has revealed himself, specifically in, uh, in these words in Exodus, but in story all the way through. And so one of the things that you see, the reason this gets quoted so much in the rest of the story, is people keep on picking up on how the way God interacts with his people displays his character and how he is uh, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. This gets picked up in the New Testament as well. We don't have time to go through all of that, unfortunately. But think about it. How has God shown uh, his kindness and faithfulness, his steadfast, unconditional, loyal love to a people who continually turn away. Most of all, how has he shown that? In Jesus, right? When we see Jesus on the cross, this is the displaying of God's character. His extreme hospitality, his extreme generosity, and his loyal love, his kindness, and his faithfulness. Uh, Even to people who do not deserve it. And then what is it that it says, as we just read in uh, Galatians 5, what is it that the Spirit of God produces in us? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, what the Spirit of God grows in us is the character of God that we are to reflect into the rest of the world. This is what the whole story is about. And we see this again and again told. I had a professor in seminary one time who said that there are really only nine. He's kidding, of course. He's like, there are really only about nine really big ideas in the whole Bible. They're just told in about a thousand different ways. (laughs) And again, he's exaggerating and uh, kind of being funny to make a point. 
But there's something to that. And so sometimes we're just told straight out, this is what God is like. And a lot of times it's a story and we get to see what God is like. And it's not just that we get to see what he's like in the Bible. But once we learn what God is like, we can start being able to recognize this same God in our lives today. And so as we read the story, we're reading about how God has interacted with his people in the past. And we start recognizing uh, the way that God is uh, working in our lives today. And he's still the same God. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. As we come to know him better and walk with him more through Jesus and by the power of his Holy Spirit, may we become those who reflect him more and more to the world around us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.